Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cavalry Audio. Hey, beautiful people. Welcome back to Forever Young. And today we have an exciting episode for you. We're going to be talking about Botox, history, origins, its uses, its pitfalls, and how to avoid some of these common uh, issues. Well, you know, everyone these days is getting Botox. And we're here to talk to you about um, the right way to get it, why you should get it, the areas that you can use it for, and the cosmetic and non-cosmetic applications for it. Um, Interesting part about it is, what is Botox? And we're going to not necessarily talk about it as Botox, because that's the brand name, um, because there are a bunch of different types of this same type of we'll call it a Molecule. Molecule. Um, But where, where where did Botox come from? Sure. The interesting part is uh, that back in the 70s, this was actually being tested for by ophthalmologists, which were really uh, used for ocular dystonias. And these are uh, things like strabismus, when the, the eyes themselves are, you know, we, we commonly known as cross-eyed or, or things like that. And, and in testing this initially on some monkeys uh, treating strabismus, um, the researchers noticed that the forehead wrinkles started to smooth. And Dr. Jean Carruthers and her husband, uh, you know, again, around uh, in the 80s, were first starting to use these on humans. And this was, uh, you know, onobotulinum toxin. Uh, This was something that was injected into the ocular muscles or the muscles around the eye. And they noticed that it helped uh, reduce the muscular contraction. And so uh, from that moment onward, uh, people realized that this could be used for cosmetics and a, a whole litany of things. And so, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of go into some of the basics. So we'll just, we'll talk about where we get it from. And really it's, it's a bacteria. Um, it's called Clostridium botulinum. Um, and it's known to cause something called botulism. Um, if, if taken in, in, in high doses, it can cause a lot of problems. But interestingly enough, just like we used, we took penicillin and used it, a bacteria for that, um, there's, there's a lot of good things we can take from um, so, so-called bad things. And we realized that if we take this, this bacteria, we purify it and make it a purified protein, we can actually use it and place it into a muscle and make that muscle not fire as much. So what it does is it the way it works, and it's very complicated, we're not going to get into all the details, but acetylcholine uh, binds to a receptor, and then it, it makes a muscle fire. And that's how we actually form wrinkles, by muscle contractions. Now, we have a ton of muscles in our body, and this medicine, or this molecule, I'm going to call it, can be used in all of a variety of different types of muscles to cause 
counteraction of the muscle that's been fired. So simply put, um, you know, like John just talked about, the, the initial studies were done for strapismus. So if someone was, was cross-eyed, one of the muscles was taking over and pulling the eyeball more medially. Well, if you numb that area, it'll come back down and go back to the middle, right? But they realized that by treating them, some of the wrinkles around the area were gone. So it was a big aha moment. Um, with that said, you know, so, so in 1989, the FDA approved Botox, botulinum, a botulinum for, for, for treatment for strabismus and for something called blepharospasm. And, and blepharospasm is just basically twitching of your eyelid muscle. And sometimes it can come be, become so severe that it, it's a big problem. And if you put a tiny little bit in that area, it can really take that away and make people a lot more comfortable. Um, yeah, I think, it, you know, the interesting part is that it, you just have to imagine wherever one of the neurotoxins, which I think we'll, we'll call them from here on in, because there are multiple different brands and um, these are essentially just different versions of the same pr- protein um, and each have slightly different efficacy and we'll kind of touch on those uh, in a little bit, at least give you our own uh, perspective, and we can also look at some of the studies that were done. Um, but wherever a neurotoxin is injected, the muscle relaxes. And so it's kind of the opposite of what people think. Sometimes people tell me, well, listen, I want a little Botox right here because I want to raise my brow. Um, that actually does the opposite. And so we have specific muscles. They, um, y- you know, we'll say the antagonistic muscles and those that react against them. And uh, the, it's a delicate interplay uh, between these muscles that give us the uh, expected outcomes. Absolutely. And just to kind of take you through the history of, of how this molecule has, has been used, you know, it wasn't the first indication wasn't, again, like I said a second ago, wasn't a cosmetic indication. Cosmetic indication actually came in years later. And it's only been about almost 20 years that we've been using it cosmetically. So 2002, we started using them for the frown line. So these two lines that go in between your eyebrows, when you fur your brows, furrow your brows, um, that's where you put Botox to get rid of those. And that was the first indication for something called Botox Cosmetic. And now we have multiple different brands, like like John was saying, um, and the brands can be from different companies. And, and in Europe, even have, they even have more brands, but they all generally do the same thing. Um, the, the beauty of it is we've taken this molecule and we've realized by using it, we can actually treat a lot of other problems. And we're going to get into that as well. Mm-hmm. So as far as the indications for Botox, really generally when we think about it, uh, we're going to talk about it from a cosmetic standpoint. And uh, we're really relying on this as one of the best drugs that we have to reduce the signs of visible aging. And it's really reserved, uh, especially in the beginner's hands, for the upper third of the face. Three major areas that we look to treat. One is between the eyes. Some people call it the 11s. The forehead, which uh, are those horizontal lines that go across uh, the entire forehead, sometimes deep furrows. And then around the eyes, lo- you know, known as the crow's feet. And those are three very common areas. Now, off-label uses can be uh, used all over the face. Again, you have to know your anatomy really well to see how the, that delicate interplay that I alluded to earlier. But for now, we're going to talk about the three different areas. Very important what he said, though. 
You have to know your anatomy very well. And that's why it's very important that you go to somebody who knows the anatomy that they're injecting because anyone can inject this. But to do it properly is a different story. Sorry, keep going. No, not at all. And so the idea is, all right, common question. So first of all, what is considered a neurotoxin? So we've got Botox, which tends to be the OG. We have Xeomin, Dysport, now Juveau. And there are multiple other brands. Those are the ones that are approved here in the U.S. There's a new one coming soon, uh, but uh, it's not out yet. That supposedly will last a little longer. So if we look at the indications, how long it takes for it to start working, how long it lasts, um, the indications are really those three areas that I have told you about. uh, As far as, uh, you know, again, these are the majority are off-label uses because uh, the only FDA-approved um, was the uh, glabellar lines, which is as of 2002, and then the crow's feet, which just came about in 2013. But we've been putting it in the forehead forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go figure this. Just because it's not FDA approved doesn't mean we, we can't use it properly. It's just a matter of what um, they can say that it can be used for. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, the idea behind, so I'm, I'm going to give you at least a fresh perspective on Botox, because I know it's gotten a lot of negative publicity and, and press, and I think it's because it's been used incorrectly and because there's a, there are a lot of uh, inexperienced injectors. And uh, the idea for Botox is not to freeze your forehead. It's not so you can't move at all, although in some people it's necessary in order to smooth out those lines. The idea is when you're making an expression, you will likely have lines somewhere. Even my little five-year-old twins, when they make an expression, they have lines in their forehead, but the lines go away when they're done or in repose. So the idea behind Botox is really to reduce the natural resting tension of the, the, the portions of the face that we inject. So from the forehead and crow's feet and glabella, glabella uh, the idea is to uh, essentially weaken the muscle so that resting potential doesn't occur. And when you're in repose or not making an expression, everything looks youthful and smooth. The goal is still to have some movements. So you can make expressions. And this is where we really see, uh, you know, um, some of the pitfalls associated with uh, administering a, a neuromodulator or neurotoxin. And it's interesting because is it an easy procedure? The simplest, easiest thing we do. It really is. But it's got to be done by the right person. Because just in case, just, just because they're giving you the ability to do it, it doesn't mean it could be done right. Now, it's interesting. I know dentists that do it. I know podiatrists that do it. I know, I know a lot of people that do it. And I also see a lot of patients in our own office that go somewhere else because they couldn't get the time to come in to see us because we were booked or whatever it is. And then they come back, they're like, fix it, please. I, I would say three of the most common things that you can see when Botox is quote unquote botched. Um, and it's really just not reading the anatomy correctly. One is that you have peaked eyebrows or you look like Spock. You know, So really the central portion, so if someone comes in, they say, listen, I, I just want it right here. 
Um, and then what happens is these muscles take over and, uh, you know, the outer aspect of the eye, those muscles take over and then it looks like a very peaked eyebrow. So that's, that's one of the most common two is the other one is when the brow drops. And what happens is usually what happens is we, uh, inject in the central part with the glabella, the 11s, and we put it up on the forehead. But sometimes if you get too close to the, uh, the outer aspect of the eyebrow, um, you're actually knocking that muscle's movement out. And so it will end up falling. Um, and the third, uh, I think most common issue would be, and, and that also, that second also includes, you know, uh, essentially getting a lid lag or when the upper eyelid, you know, looks like it's droopy, um, just because some of the product has moved, you know, migrated to that area. Um, the third is really when you have that very angry look when, the corrugator muscles, which are at really the origin insertions are really from uh, the inside of the upper aspect of the nose up to the mid portion of the brow, and it pulls the brow downward. And so if I'm putting an injection that's just a little bit in too high in the center, the corrugator muscles are going to work harder and pull your brow downward. That can be remedied. Uh, you know, I can think of one particular patient that came in. She had Botox elsewhere. It was a cheaper price and came in frantic because uh, it made her look like a Cro-Magnon or, uh, you know, uh, for uh, it j- just did not look natural. It gives a very angry appearing look. And what you do is you essentially inject almost from underneath into the corrugator muscle. So it allows the muscle to relax in the brow, the mid portion of the brow to return to its natural position. So it's very important that you know the anatomy in the face and you individualize every single patient because the injection pattern for one person is not going to be necessarily the same as the next person. Mm -hmm. And, And somebody who gives you the training or shows you a picture of how to inject someone's face it's not going to be the same for everyone. And that's what's really important. And, and I guess some of it is also by trial and error. You have enough experience. You understand that by taking someone's anatomy and you don't realize that they have a heavy brow or they have a very full gabella, but what you can do is you could make their brow even heavier if you give them too much Botox. There are certain things you have to be really aware of. Now, just because I can walk into a room and do an assessment in three minutes and inject someone's face took years and years for me to learn that. Doesn't mean that someone that just started a nurse injector is going to get that same thing without mm-hmm. the experience. Sure, they may get you know, they may get 7 out of 10 right, which is, you know, adequate. That's completely fine. Um, but the three people that they get wrong, here's why it makes a big difference. There is no antidote. There's nothing you can give to reverse the effects of Botox. And so here's really what it is. We give the injections it can start working in a, as little as two to three days. It peaks at about seven to 14 days, and it lasts for three to four months. Now, you can imagine if something is improperly placed, meaning one injection is too low, too high, um, and a brow drops, that is going to be that way for three to four months. So this is something that you have to think about when you go to Earth Bar. Uh, and get your Botox, you know, the idea is, uh, can it be done? Can it be cheaper? Of course it is. But um, when something goes awry, they have to be able to counteract some of the, uh, the that, that improper placement. And so um, for us, we have an extensive understanding of facial anatomy. As I said earlier, they're antagonistic muscles and those that pull against those. And so the idea is, we have to 
place um, each injection, meaning not only just the amount, because we're talking, we're calculating units, uh, but it has to be appropriately placed in the middle of a muscle belly or uh, you know, along an entire muscle to get that, uh, that achieved or desired result. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. As far as how many units does the average person take? It's very interesting. I was going to say exactly this. It's just like the rest of the motto of our practice. Less is more. Always can add more. This is something that John said years ago, and I I have kept with it forever. It's always, listen, I'm going to give you less. If I need to give you a little bit more, I can always give you a little more in two weeks, but I can't take it away. And Botox is very important. Now, again, to me, and, and to Dr. Lakey, we like to have people have a little bit of, of movement. We are used to injecting celebrities that are still working celebrities that need to show emotion, but yet they don't want to age prematurely. So we have to make sure that there is a little bit of, of movement. However, that movement is not going to create deep wrinkles over time. So again, let's go over dosage and how much. Each person's a bit different. I will just standardize. Men will require more because their muscles require a little bit more. They're a little bit bigger and they fire a little bit harder. Now, does that mean every man? No, but the majority of them need a little bit more Botox than a woman does. That's the first thing. Second thing is these corrugator muscles or the muscles that are in between our eyes that cause those 11s or the frown lines they require a little bit more than the ones that are the forehead lines. And again, each patient's a tiny little bit different. We work with units. Some doctors will say areas. We like to do it with units because we know exactly precisely how much we're putting in each area. As far as indications, um, you know, we talked about the placement and where it needs to go, but we didn't really talk about age. You know, one of the important things is how early is too early. Um, you know, there are a couple different factors. Again, we can talk about the fact that there's a genetic, uh, you know, aspect of people who have very heavy brow and, um, you know, thickened skin or things like that. But ideally, uh, you know, what happens is these lines are not ideally, I would say, uh, over the course of time, lines form perpendicular to a muscle. So anywhere you find a a muscle that's on the body, especially in the face, perpendicular to it, there's a line that forms. And these muscles are attached directly to the underside of the skin. And as you contract that muscle, it creases the skin over and over and over until eventually that crease stays. Now, some of this has to do with what I talked about earlier. It's just the natural resting potential of the muscle. It's always continually firing to at 10%. And just to eliminate that bit alone can make you look younger. And so as far as indications, now, most people start probably in their 30s, you know, because they start seeing some of these little lines. However, studies now show that you start this as early as your 20s, you probably won't have any wrinkles till you're 50. Now, what is the right age? 
well, I think it's all patient specific. I agree. And I, if I could tell you, if we can get a hold of everyone in their mid twenties and start Botox on them, wow. If I can do a study on that and show you the difference of somebody who did it and didn't, I will show you that that person that started in their twenties and did Botox for someone that didn't will look significantly younger mm-hmm. when they're 50, 60 years old. Mm-hmm. This is why Botox is used. Keep that in mind. I'm going to tell you again. I'm not here to reverse your wrinkles. I'm here to prevent them. That's the key for Botox. Botox is by far the best tool in our armamentarium that is simple and that can slow the progression of aging. Now, is it for the full face? Dr. Lakey said, no, most of Botox and its real big bang is upper third of the face, forehead lines, what we call these frown lines or the 11s, and then the crow's feet, the lines around the eyes. Those areas, if you look at someone as they go from decade to decade, from their 20s to let's say their 80s, those are the lines that really show aging in someone. Now, some of the other stuff are sunspots or the laugh lines, those are different and we'll talk about those. But if you can prevent deep forehead lines, deep frown lines, and big deep crow's feet, well, the chances are you're not going to look significantly older, at least for the upper third of the face. And that's what it's there for. Now, the recommendations we both give to most patients is, listen, do this three to four times a year. Whenever you feel like the wrinkles are coming back, if it's really bothering you, come and do it. Because again, the less you form those wrinkles by moving your muscles up and down or side to side, the less those wrinkles are going to form. And therefore, the less chance that they're going to become permanent. That's the key to what we're trying to do, not give you permanent wrinkles. Yes, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about stories earlier and, uh, you know, a specific population that may come in, um, you know, the two things that we see very commonly in Beverly Hills. And and sometimes there are specific population that tends to have a very heavy brow. And so the idea is if placed correctly, we should have smooth forehead, smooth area between the eyes, and a slightly raised outer brow for females. Uh, for males, we keep the brow nice and straight all the way across. Now, there are some fun areas that we can, you know, listen, if you're an advanced Mac Daddy injector, you know, this is where you can start having some fun. The idea is not we're putting Botox all over the face because you got some pretty important muscles that are involved in speaking, chewing, uh, you know, making expressions. But you can do some amazing things. You can reshape the face by placing Botox in the masseter muscles, which are the jaw or big chewing muscles on the side. Um, this was very common in Asia because they, uh, th- there was a subset of population that had very wide faces. And so they would contour the face simply by uh, reducing the, uh, the density of the masseter muscles. Now, this was a side effect of... Uh, treating people who grinded their teeth at night. And so bruxism was, or grinding your teeth was just a a real big problem for a lot of people. And so they figured, all right, well, let's try Botoxing the masseters. They found two things happen. One, they stopped grinding their teeth. Two, faces look slimmer on the outside. So this was an added bonus. Absolutely. We have have dentists and oral surgeons that send us patients all the time that they put in caps or they put veneers in and they're breaking through them because that muscle, the masseter, and if you take your finger and just literally put it right by your cheek and bite down, you can feel that muscle fire. Now, some people have very strong masseters. Some people don't. And, And really, 
the Asian population has a very round face with very strong masseters. Interestingly, if you give some Botox there, you can really slim the face. But I have seen how beneficial it is for people who have been crying. I do it myself for, for myself because I've broken a couple teeth because um, I grind really bad. But it really works. It's very simple. It's all that stress. He stresses me out. <laughs> no, no, but it, but it really works, and it really works well. And there's really zero downside to it. That's the beautiful part about it. It costs money. That's really the only thing. That's the <laughs> that's, downside. What about what about um, people that come see you and they say, "I don't like my gummy smile." Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to say there's so many other fun little areas. These are uh, obviously off label, but uh, gummy part of the smile. Often, what we'll do is we will inject certain parts of uh, the inner aspect of the lip. You know, you have to imagine the reason why people sometimes have a gummy smile is because they have overactive muscles of the upper lip. And so give a quick injection underneath, inside, near that uh, tiny little um, frenulum, and uh, it will help relax that portion of the muscle. The other one that we had talked about was uh, that you can actually raise the tip of the nose. Sometimes people have an overactive depressor muscle of the nose. Um, which is at the junction just at the lip where the nose begins. And sometimes adding little bits of Botox, all of a sudden the tip of the nose starts to raise. And one of the biggest fads nowadays is the lip flip. Mm-hmm. So everyone comes in and says, give me the lip flip. Now you have to realize some of the stuff that we're talking about, we're talking millimeters. We're not talking, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a lip augmentation, but it's really nice. You put a tiny little bit of, of, of Botox right above the lip and it really does, what it does is it, is it relaxes the upper lip and the mucosa just pops up and it looks really, really cute. People come in all the time. But again, you have to explain to your patients that by putting, if you put too much, it can actually make you feel like you lose oral competence. Now, you don't necessarily lose oral competence, but it feels a little different. So if you're putting a straw in your mouth, pursing your lips may feel weird for about a week or two. And these, these things should be explained to the patient prior to doing it. Mm-hmm. Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break. My favorite place to put Botox, or one of my favorite places, is in an area called the platysmal bands. Now, platysmal bands are those dreaded bands that form right down on your neck. So if you show yourself an exaggerated smile, you can see these bands that form. Now, no matter what happens, the older we get, this sheet-like muscle that we were born with, kind of a vestigial muscle because we don't necessarily really need it, is, is a, is, it basically separates. And when it separates, we form bands, sometimes two bands, sometimes four bands, sometimes even more. All we do is take Botox and go up and down those bands and literally it can efface them. It could make them nice and smooth as long as they haven't been there for a very long time. If they're new, it literally can cause your neck to be nice and tight. Some people even call it the Nefertiti lift. Um, But it's a great way 
to truly make your neck nice and tight um, if you catch it early enough, and then it won't get worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have it in now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other place that's very common, we've been using it for years as well, um, not in the face, is for sweating. So the, the medical word for sweating is hyperhidrosis. So hydrosis is, is sweat and hyper means a lot of. So it's a lot of sweat. Most people really say that, you know, they'll complain about under their armpits. So Botox in their armpits, normally four to six months, no sweating. I've done it in the hands, although very painful. It works very well as well. Um, these are ways to, to really kind of decrease sweating, but also, you know, not make it so it's completely gone, even though people want everything to be completely gone. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, uh, you know, someone always asks, they say, well, if I get rid of my sweating, do I, am I going to pant? Like a, a dog? No, that's the, that's simply not the case. <laughs> Trust me, your body will be able to rid itself of uh, enough carbon dioxide and enough moisture, uh, but it won't happen in the hands. So, um, you know, f- uh, fun areas, I think, you know, again, with face, chin, right? So people who have a witch's chin or people who have an overactive chin and they say, gosh, I don't like the dimpling. You know, eight, four to eight little units of Botox in there, and it looks. Uh, it's phenomenal. amazing. It'll be nicely smoothed out. Sometimes, if the corner of the mouth turns downward, and it always looks like you're sad, usually happens when we start aging. Mm-hmm. So there's a little muscle called the depressor anguli oris that's at the corner of the mouth, and, and it attaches down to the chin. And sometimes you put little bits of Botox in there and it can turn the, the corner of the mouth. Listen, we don't want to go Joker style, but we do want to go at least to where it's horizontal again. And again, these are more advanced uh, off-label uses. And so you don't have try to, them at home. You have to know how to uh, deal with the issues. You have to prepare a patient for them. So, you know, the whole reason behind why we're saying, oh, wow, these are really fun areas. The idea is if you know facial musculature inside and out, you know how to counteract some of the issues, you know, and you have to be prepared. That there may be moments where where you're unable to do that. Sometimes we place it in the forehead, and uh, it drops a brow because, you know, the, think of that friend of yours, that individual. They always have that quizzical look. One eyebrow is just a little bit higher than the other, and uh, it's because usually they're compensating for something, or it's just a learned behavior. And sometimes knocking that muscle out causes. Uh, if you put the same amounts on both sides, the the one the side that wasn't higher now is lower, and you have a, a dropped brow, and so that can be uh, really disconcerting for a patient. So, right. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a couple more fun areas. Um, bunny lines, little bunny lines are, are the ones that go right off your nose, your upper nose. Every time you kind of squint your face, people hate that. Some people come in and, and literally say, "I don't want that." two to four units on each side, and it gets rid of that. Mm-hmm. That's it's simple, easy places. And if you really think about it, it doesn't really take away an expression that's needed. It's just lines on your nose that some people really dislike. Um, other place that I, I do a lot is, is for migraines. Um, you know, there was an indication about 10, 11 years ago that FDA approved Botox for migraines. And it's interesting because the, the, the theory behind it is what happens is the muscles that are sitting on top of some of the vessels that, that, are, that are feeding blood supply to our brain and nerves, they're just sitting there and they're kind of stressed. They're push, putting too much pressure on them. If you inject Botox in proper areas, upper forehead, between the eyebrows, on the trapezius muscle, 
up on the neck and the, the cervical muscles, you can really ease the tension on those areas, the temporalis muscle. You can really ease the tension and migraines could be gone for six months to 12 months to the point where people that have tried everything, exhausted medication, all types of things that, that have been debilitated from migraines, they'll come get Botox. Now, neurologists are trained in that, but you know we do it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, listen, I, the, the main goal that we're trying to get across is obviously there are multiple indications. I think starting off slow, starting off at a relatively early age when you can, um, and going to someone who's reputable, um, you know, board certified uh, plastic surgeon or dermatologist or something to that effect, um, who knows facial anatomy and who'll be able to deliver the results that you want, that also have to be able to deal with some of the complications. And so... Um, the goal for us is really to kind of get that message across to you that you can access it in multiple different avenues, um, but it's not always uh, the best choice. I understand people want to save money, but um, it is your face. Uh, and so we have to always uh, keep that in mind. And just to kind of really simplify all of it, neurotoxins, all the different types, we'll just say Botox just to, just to kind of refer to one lasts anywhere between three and four months. Some people like Dr. Lakey last for a week. Um, <laughs> um, most people, it will last for that, for that long. There are people that metabolize things faster and you may be one of them. And if it is, then maybe you need a little bit more. They last for three to four months. The day that you get the injection, we ask you to not lay down or bend over for three to four hours and not to exercise that day because we don't want the, the the very specific areas that we've injected, we don't want the product to move. And that's yeah, when we yeah. run into problems. And I recommend uh, making those expressions because it pulls the product into the muscle belly kind of where you need it. And so... So walk around know. making these funny faces yeah, yeah, all day yeah. long. Preferably in public. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it does show that it actually makes it kickstart faster. Do you have to get this redone every three to four months, you don't have to do anything. But if you do want to kind of keep up with the progression of facial aging, I recommend at least three times a year. I think it's a good idea. It's a fairly simple procedure. The biggest complication with it is you may have a tiny bit of bruising and that's it in our hands. Very, very rarely do we have any other problems. Sometimes we need to give people a little bit more because we are very conservative. Um, It's something that does not hurt. We use the smallest, tiniest little 33 gauge needle that we import from Japan that is like smaller than an acupuncture needle. People are very scared to get injected in their face immediately and they come in and they're like, that's all it was? That was a piece of cake. We don't use anesthetic. We don't use numbing cream. We use a little bit of ice to keep, keep the area kind of Numbed up. It usually, it's it be, you know basically shrinks the blood vessels as well as offering some uh, you know type of uh, anesthetic. Um, and one of the and one of the biggest questions I answer on a regular basis: is if you do it once, do you have to keep doing it? No, you don't have to do it. Nothing's going to happen if you do it once and you don't like it. Don't ever do it again. But that's never happened before. Mm-hmm. People come in; they love the way they look because it really just makes people look refreshed. Yeah, I think it, um, if you're asking, you know, again, another common question is how many units do I need? If you're treating all three areas, 
I would say for females, you probably need anywhere from 32 to 36 units, um, you know, which would be a reasonable uh, amount. And then for males, I would say anywhere from 36 to 44 units, depending on how, um, you know, deep the creases are around the eyes, how deep the furrows are to the forehead, and also how high the hairline is. So we're covering more territory. And so if you've got a receding hairline, obviously what you don't want is a smooth forehead and then it starts uh, forming little lines that are just before the hairline. So, um, you know, and as far as pricing, that's going to be, you know, demographic specific here in Beverly Hills. You know, I think it's probably anywhere from, you know, at a, at a, a board certified physician's office, it's probably going to be, you know, $15, $18 a unit, something like that. Um, and so it can be costly, but uh, it can have great uh, youthifying effects. Yes, and, and again, well worth it because imagine if you keep up with the wrinkles and don't have them form, you never have to treat them. And that's the key behind this. Always remember, prevention is better than treatment. So if you can prevent something from happening, it's the reason we get colonoscopies, right? We don't want to get colon cancer. So it's this is really the same premise. What we're doing is giving you Botox so we prevent the formation of wrinkles that one day we're going to have to treat. Um, The other thing that people ask a lot is, can you lift my brows? Sure, we can lift your brows. There's an extent to how much we'd like to lift your brows because we don't want it to look super fake and weird. We don't want you to look surprised. Um, And there are different injectors with different injection techniques, but in our hands, if we do lift your brows, it's very subtle so it looks like it belongs to your face and it's not drawn in. You know, I can say confidently that if we see you walking around the street and you have a very strange look on your forehead and uh, and it's uh, you're unable to move it, it's not coming out of our practice. The idea for us is that we want you to look as youthful as you can, but still natural. No one should know that you've had this done. Even for people who come, you know, on their lunch breaks and things like that, they come. And I would say the most unnerving thing right off the bat is it looks like you've got about 10 mosquito bites on your forehead. That usually goes away in about 20, 25 minutes. And by the time you return to work, no one should really know that you've had anything done. And so, that is the goal that we stick by with almost every single procedure, and uh, that's one that I'd stick to here. Absolutely. I think, I think we've really done a thorough job talking about all of the pros, the cons, the benefits of Botox. And, and again, it's one of the most widely used cosmetic um, procedures, procedures around, and it's good to know. However, if you have questions... You can always send us your questions and we are happy to answer them next Tuesday or the Tuesday after because I know each person has a different experience and maybe you had an experience with Botox that wasn't good and maybe we can kind of help you out with that. Um, Quick little tip, anybody out there who uh, is listening and let's say they did get Botox and uh, all of a sudden their eyelid looks a little droopy, one of the treatments that you can use, at least temporarily until it uh, wears off, is an eye drop that's called aproclonidine. And what it will do is essentially stimulate what's called Mueller's muscle on the upper eyelid and uh, will raise the eyelid as best it can until your Botox wears off and you can see some more symmetry. And I'm going to dispel one myth before we sign off. There are no topical <laughs> alternatives to Botox. I've had people that have hit me up and said, I have this cream I put on and it's just like Botox. There isn't. Botox has to be injected into the muscle. However, um, through 
A little bit of formulation, Dr. Lakey and I came up with the One Drop Rewind um, that's part of our skincare line that actually really helps with wrinkles and literally just a small drop of it in the areas that you don't like your wrinkles can not necessarily freeze, but it can eliminate and soften the appearance of those wrinkles, similar to Botox. Um, The difference is you have to put it on on a regular basis, but again, there's no injections and it works really nicely. It's something you can try if you don't have access to Botox. Mm -hmm. You can really feel that tightening effect and uh, ultimately if you can get listen you imagine if you can tighten areas one millimeter on 30 different points of the face that's a significant change 30 millimeters (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening in um yeah listen thanks for spending your time with us here at uh, make sure you follow us at forever young and if you're interested you can look at our uh, two Instagram sites. One is Plastic Stocks with an X. The other is Beverly Hills MD. And we look forward to seeing you next week. And that particular topic is going to be getting your skin summer ready and so how to take care of it in the summer. Follow us on the iHeart app, um, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look forward to hanging with you again next Tuesday. We'll see you next Tuesday on Forever Young. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.